Good morning. As Pastor Allen has already said, my name is DeAndre, and I am the worship arts pastor here at Mountain Park Church, and I am honored today to serve us in a different capacity, leading us to explore what God has for us from his word today. And it's kind of um, funny because a year ago on this date, I was introduced to you guys, the congregation, and you thought I was good enough or okay to serve you. And here on today, I have the opportunity of teaching from God's work, something that I don't um, take lightly. I tell people, I didn't ask to do this, but God, he, he wooed people, um, you know, woo winning others over. He asked people to say, hey, Deonor, what do you think about teaching? And I was like, I teach through worship, but what type of teaching are we talking about? And it's like, we want you to, to preach. And I was like, oh, I told God, no, that, you know, and then I was like, well, they're like, you got to teach. And I was like, I'm going to speak to us about what God's word says. And as I learn from him, I'm just going to share how I learned from the word with you guys um, today. Um, but before I get started, I want to pray for us that God would speak to us, that he would open your ears and your hearts to receive what he would have to say to you today and us as a church collectively. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful that we have the opportunity to, um, to stand here, to hear from you, that your word is active, it's breathing, it's living, and um, it wants to speak to us today. And so may you open up our understandings. Would you speak through me? I just want to be a, a vessel that you can work through. And so God, may, um, may people's hearts be drawn near to you and we'll give you all the praise and all the glory. <clears throat> we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we're going to continue our summer series entitled The Church of Tomorrow with 2 Timothy, and we're going to open with chapter one. But before we begin that, I need to give you some context and some history. 2 Timothy is the last letter that the Apostle Paul would ever write. Like, just think about that. That's kind of like mind-blowing. blowing. And I want you to think like this, to begin with the end in mind. So imagine you're going to the doctor this week, and the doctor is going to tell you, you have a month to live. So what would the month of July look like for you if you were giving that news? And... If I were to give you a pen and a blank sheet of paper and ask you to write one final letter to someone that you loved, one person, who would you select? Who would you write to? And what would you say to them? You see, the Bible says that we should number our days so that we might gain a heart of wisdom. And I love that scripture, that we might gain a heart of wisdom, that um, we should number our days so that we should live with the end in mind. And we're going to see today in this letter, in the first um, book of 2 Timothy, what was important to Paul in the final days of his life. Now, for me, you're probably like, why are you talking about the final days of his life? We just came out of fearless, now you're starting out kind of morbid. But I'm gonna take us somewhere so you are now seated in an emergency exit zone. I need a yes, so everybody's nodding, that you're gonna hang on with me, we're gonna get deep, we're gonna go fast, and then I'm gonna bring it all out, we're gonna throw some comedy, and God's gonna get the glory, and then you're gonna go home and have lunch, and then I'm gonna do it all over again while you're having lunch, <laughs> to God be the glory. So, all right, so, but to set it all up, 
I want to give you some context. So while I was a student at Mississippi State University, one of the things I wanted to go after was counselor education. And so one of the courses that I had to take, upper level um, 5,000 course, was a class entitled Issues in Aging. And I was like, issues in aging? And I was like, what am I going to learn there? How to get old. And I was like, but I don't want to get old yet. But the reality is we're all etching towards another end of the spectrum. So we're all getting older, we should be getting wiser, and so all these things are coming about. But while I was there, I thought, I'm gonna take this course, and the Lord like blew my mind. I learned so much about the different things that older adults face as they move from, from one cohort into the, the next. Because we're all in cohorts and we're constantly moving, we're evolving, you know. This world is not our home, we're just passing through and so we're aging. But in the midst of that, I got to do interviews with older adults and explore what's important to you and find out the things, you know. When older adults get older, they're giving away things constantly. You ever notice that? Like my grandmother's like, hey, you want this crock pot? I'm like, I got six crock pots. What do I need another crock pot for? I go through the fast food, a drive-through, you know. Um, she's like, but you need to cook. And I was like, I already have a crock pot. My mom's like, just take the crock pot. I was like, thank you for another crock pot. Who's getting married? <laughs> this is going to be a wonderful gift. But as I got in the class, I learned so much, and it taught me so much in my past story of vocational call to ministry. So for the last five years, I lived in Nebraska, and I got to do a lot of pastoral care where I visited people in the hospitals, and I was invited to their homes to pray over congregants and to, to hear this person's got their last notice and they're in their final few days, they're in their final few weeks, and they're, they, they want you to come in and share a word or lead a song. And I thought, God, why me? And God is like, you know, here, here you are, DeAndre, I'm sending you, so you go. And so I've been obedient to do that. You know, in those moments, I've been beside people in their bedsides as they gave their final breath, where life was taken and they were moving from this life into the next and I've even watched people who had rejected God their entire life in those final breaths gasp and acknowledge their need for the Savior. You know, and that's a very humbling experience if you've never witnessed that. To see someone take their breath and say, you know, I've come to peace with the Maker and I want to give my life over to Him. And acknowledging their need for the Savior, I believe they're in heaven. Yes, I've seen those moments happen, and they are miraculous. And I've also seen believers pass away as they reach up towards heaven with a sweet look of serenity on their face, and they look towards glory. And in those moments, those are memorable moments. See, at those moments, the things that we hold on to <laughs> and the things that we let go of are very telling about life. You see, if you knew that you only had a few weeks to live or that you were in a room with someone who only had a few weeks or a month to live, you would notice what's important to them and what is not. And a few things I've never experienced in one of those rooms is someone telling me while they're on their deathbed, hey, Deanna, you know, for 35 years I worked that 30 plus hour, 40, 60 plus hour job. You know, hey, I got for the first time in my life, I'm a millionaire on the last day of my life, my 403B. I'm a millionaire, praise God, to him be all the glory. I'm like, you know, I've never heard someone says, you know, on my Fitbit today, I got X number of steps and all throughout my life, I've been tracking, you know, my grandmother would say if she was here, I've been running for Jesus a long time, but I'm not tired yet. And I do believe she can still beat me today. But I'm sitting there and I'm like, in these moments, I've never seen this. I've never said to someone, I've got all these degrees. I have this number of properties. I've attributed all this. I've got this success, you know. Do you know what my title is? No. 
I've never heard any of those things because people don't talk about those things at the end. They talk about the people that really matter to them. And it's very telling because we can spend our life engaged in so many different activities that we're exhausted. And if we begin to look back at all the amount of time that we invest in those activities, we're like, where were the meaningful relationships? We look back and we're like, uh, where, where do I find myself? So I want you to remember that thought today as we begin with the end in mind. And we see that life, when you have to loosen your grip, those things that we're engaged in, some of those things are not going to matter at all in the very end. So, but to begin, we're going to find out from Paul what was important to him in this last letter to Timothy. And to set the context, I'm going to read you a letter written by a man named John Brown. So John Brown here, um, he was a American he was in American history. He led a rebellion known as Harbor's Ferry. It was an attempt to move the abolitionist movement from the Underground Railroad to abolish slavery and move it into the public. Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman, they wanted to be a part of this, but for various causes, neither one of them could attend. But Frederick Douglass thought, this rebellion is not gonna, we're not even gonna, it's not even gonna go anywhere, so I'm not even gonna attend. So we have... John Brown, who you see on the picture, he throws this first pebble, which starts our American Civil War. The pebble thrown in the pond, but it was a fell rebellion, and John Brown was thrown in jail for treason, and he was awaiting his execution. John has one opportunity with that one piece of paper, with one pen, to write one final letter, and he writes this final letter to his wife and kids. And knowing he is going to die within the next day or two, here's what he wrote. I want you to listen with clarity to his words. Listen carefully to what's on his mind. This father to his son and daughter, this husband to his wife. November 30th, 1859. Dear my beloved wife, son, daughters, and everyone, as I now begin what is probably the last letter I shall ever write to anyone, I'm awaiting the hour of my public murder with great composure of mind and cheerfulness, feeling the strong assurance that in no other possible way could I be used to the cause of God and humanity. A wise and merciful, a just and holy God rules, not only in the affairs of this world, but all worlds. He has a rock to set our feet under in all circumstances. And now... Have, I now have no doubt that our seeming disaster will ultimately result in the most glorious success. So my dear shattered and broken family, be of good cheer and believe and trust in God with all your heart and with all your soul, for he doeth all things well. Now let's think about this. I've got a chart to help us. Now I'm going to put you in the story. You're facing an execution for a righteous cause you will be honored later on in the years to come, but for now, you're convicted and you're guilty of treason. You, you know that there's no rescue coming, and you say that you're in complete peace, and God does all things well. Kind of strange. And now he's going to turn and say something like, this is how I am. This is how I feel. This is what I'm thinking. And now he turns to his wife and kids, and he's going to continue to write, and he wants to give them some last-minute instructions, his parting words. Listen, I beseech you, everyone, to make the Bible your daily and nightly study with a childlike, honest, candid, teachable spirit of love. I beseech the God of my fathers to open your eyes to the discovery of the truth that you should abhor with undying hatred the psalm of all villains, slavery. 
Remember that the wise shall shine, and they that turn many to righteous as the stars forever and ever. And now, dearly beloved family, to God and the work of his grace, I commend you all, your affectionate husband and father, John Brown. Now imagine his kids getting this letter, the thoughts that flooded their minds. His wife, he stood that slavery was abhor, that it was evil, that it should be removed. And someone had to throw that first pebble in our American Civil War, and he decided to throw that pebble. To know that later he would be honored, but in this moment he would be executed. And he writes these words, I beseech you, sons and daughters, make the Bible your daily and nightly study with a childlike and honest heart. Let God's word soak in your heart. Imagine being that son or daughter, knowing that the last thing your father said was those words. He died for what he believed in. And now you, his son and daughter, have to take this on. Well, this is the mood of the beginning of 2 Timothy this last letter that Paul would ever write. This letter was written eight to nine months after Paul had already written 1 Timothy. And the scene is, you know, he knows it's about to end and he has this one chance to write that final letter. So here we're going to see his heart come through to Timothy, his beloved son in the faith. Let's read together, 2 Timothy 1, verses one through two. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now notice something really quick. Paul always starts his letters like this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul. Or in some versions of the Bible, says bondservant. Paul has now written 12 letters. This is his 13th letter. And this is the last time the great apostle Paul will put pen to parchment and write to Timothy, his beloved son. And he writes, Paul, that's who I am. I used to be Saul, the persecutor of Christians. But for the last time, I write my name, Paul, an apostle of Christ. Imagine that moment. Imagine Timothy getting this letter and reading it. I can't speak to, I can't speak to Paul anymore. He's gone. I can't call on him for encouragement. He's not there anymore. My heart is broken. That's Timothy. Paul says, you are my beloved son, true in the faith. Now let's continue in verse three as he describes this type of relationship they have. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day. I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also, Timothy. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flames the gift which God has given you, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Some versions say a sound mind. Paul is talking to his true son in the faith, and the Greek words that say, you're like my legitimate son. This is how much I love you, my adopted son in the faith. Now, I've got to ask you a question. Now, where did Timothy and Paul first meet? I'll tell you. They met back in the book of Acts. Remember, Paul was out and he was um, teaching and he was teaching and he was presenting the gospel and the people just like you, like you were there, you're like, I don't like what DeAndre is saying. We're going to stone him, stone him, stone him. So they stone him and they beat him up and they drag him out of the city. Imagine being drugged out of the city. Timothy, Paul, he's kicked around. 
on the ground, dusty. Whoops. Maybe that happened. We don't know. We weren't there. But he gets up, dusts himself off. He could keep going out of the city, but what does Paul do? I'm going back. He walks back like, hello. Hello from the other side. I'm back. You thought you killed me. See, they they thought Paul had died, but Paul's like, I'm coming back. Whether he died and God raised him up from the dead, whatever happened, Timothy, Paul got up and walked back into that city. Now, that's some Chuck Norris, MacGyver, um, Kung Fu Pop, whatever you want to call Jackie Chan, that's, a, that's that type of stuff. And I'm like, whoa, mind blown. Like, but he gets up. And so Timothy is amazed at, at, at what Paul just did, that he walked back in there. And so Timothy had an estranged Greek father. But Timothy also had two women in the faith who raised him, his grandmother and his mother. I think of Timothy often, I put myself in that role because I was raised with an estranged father who never knew me, who had wanted nothing to do with me when my mother was 15 and she had me. By the grace of God, I stand before people and I declare God's truth that he's for us. But something people, me and they came and invested in me and because of that, I'm standing here today. And so out of all of that, we see this, ooh, it's ignited in Timothy and Timothy's like, oh, I wanna learn from this guy. So there was times where Timothy followed Paul, 24-7, Paul's like, you got to go to Ephesus. You got to do something, but I need some break. Can you imagine somebody following you 24 hours a day? <laughs> Maybe you're like Twix. I need a moment. Like, <laughs> I need to chew it over. I need a moment. Step, step. Like, give me my space, and I'm like, you know, okay. But there's this connection, 16 years of this connection, this father-mentoring type of relationship. All the people that Paul ministered to are around the world. In his last days, he's thinking of his son, Timothy. You know, there are 77 words in the Greek language that are only used in the letter that Paul used to describe this deep emotion with his um, son in the faith, Timothy, this deep love, 77 words. So our first point today is this. In light of eternity, the church of tomorrow has to invest time into others. Time. So what, what, what does that even mean? If we could look into Paul's mind, we would see that at the end of his life, he was worried about his son in the faith, Timothy. He's not thinking about all the activities, all of his journeys, but he's thinking about this deep relationship with Timothy. You know, as Christians, we can be very busy. I'm in this small group. I organize this. I go to this. I'm in this prayer meeting. I do this. I answer the phone for this. I attend on Sunday mornings. I walk out of the door. Can you, like, we can be very, very busy. We can be exhausted. I went to this. I did that. But we should be asking ourselves this, who do I have a life-on-life investing relationship with so that that person can imitate, grow, and model my relationship with Christ? Can imitate, grow, or model my relationship with Christ? What if I ask you right now, I have been investing in blank. Whose name would you write? I'm investing in blank. Can you think of someone? Maybe you're sitting there like, I have no clue whose name to put in the blank. Be encouraged because by the end of the day, I'm going to give you some ways that you can figure that out and ask God like, hey, God, whose name can I fill in that blank? Because it's important. Whose name do we write there in the blank? This last letter is very telling about Paul, about Timothy and Paul's relationship. Begin with the end in mind. Let's look at the language again. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling to tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy 
Timothy, I remember the last time we talked and the tears that were in your eyes as I said goodbye because you and I probably knew we would never see each other again. I remember those tears. I want to see you so bad. I want to see you one more time. This love, this mutual respect, this father-son relationship that we see in this story. It's described even in greater detail in 1 Corinthians 4. Listen, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful to the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Paul is saying, you don't have many spiritual fathers. I birthed you. I'm your daddy. I was the one that came and planted the church. I have the spiritual heart for you. But when you see Timothy, because I can't come to you, when Timothy speaks, when Timothy shares from you, it's going to be like I'm there because he's going to imitate. He's going to model like I'm there, like we're synced together. Now, that's a crazy type of relationship right there. Now, is there anyone that you can say that you have this relationship with? If there was a situation that you could not be there, that person would be able to, to mimic what you would do. This is this Ruth and Naomi type of relationship. It's this relationship that's not by blood, but by people related by the blood of Christ. You know what? Here in Mountain Park, there are spiritual mothers that are sitting out here and spiritual sons and spiritual daughters and spiritual fathers. And there are young people that meet here in our church. And there are young adults like myself and there are other young adults And I hear conversations all the time. I just want one person to pour into me. One person. I can think of six students right now who come to me. I think of Carson. We take him out to BJ's. We buy him a bazooki. We give extra money so we can get the free bazooki cars to take him out and just dialogue with. But they want that one relationship. Because what? Their relationship with their parent is estranged. And it takes us, it takes the body to say, you know what? I'll come alongside of you. That's what someone did for DeAndre. I'm a result of that. I'm a result of a church bus that would drive and would pick me up when my mom had to work and go to school. I'm a result of that, that God still moves in ways that we cannot understand. And that regardless of whatever you find yourself today, that God, he still wants to use you in spite of yourself, in spite of your failures, that he has a plan to prosper you. Now, what good is a baton and a relay if you don't pass it on? All this, all this knowledge that Paul has, if he doesn't pass it off to Timothy, it's just going to fall to the ground. All of my investment, all that knowledge, the church tomorrow has to constantly ask the question, who do I pass this baton off to? Who? So that they can begin and start and model this relationship that Paul and Timothy have. The answer is it starts with prayer. Asking God, who can you make this investment in? You see, Paul is doing what Barnabas did for him. You know, and Barnabas Barnabas influenced Paul, who influences Luke, who influences Mark, which influences most of the New Testament. (laughs) These letters are a result of one guy who took a couple of guys underneath his wing and said, come and follow me. Take every cross, follow me, follow Jesus, come on. Imagine what would happen if that took place here at Mountain Park. These relationships merge. These spiritual mothers, these spiritual fathers, these spiritual sons, these estranged relationships that they find in the rest in the church. Imagine what would happen next year if you decided to invest in one person. That's what Paul did. Point number two. 
In light of eternity, the church of tomorrow equips others to fulfill their calling despite fear. To fulfill their calling. So in verse 6, Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.6, fan into flames. For this reason, fan into flames the gift which is in you through the laying on of hands. Fan into flames. The King James Version says to stir up the gift that's within you. <laughs> so stir up the gift. Let, let's use this as an example. So I have this container. Do you know what's inside of this container? It's hot. It's lemonade powder. Country time. Praise God. I'm going to enjoy this. What good is this? Stir up the gift. I'm not getting much lemonade out of this. Stir up the gift. No. Stir up the gift that's within you. Stir it up. To stir it up, you got to get down there and you got to make the lemonade so that you can taste and see that the Lord is good. <laughs> it's cold water too, like ice cold, like Arizona wheat. Thirst quencher. But you got to stir it up. And when you stir it up, you're like, oh, now we got some lemonade. Now I can take my cup, pour me a little bit. It's going to be sweet. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Needs a little bit more water, though. <clears throat> okay, so let's continue. Now, <laughs> stir up the gift. What does that mean? So maybe like that powder, that was your gift, and you have a gift here at Mountain Park, and we had a few weeks ago, hey, jump in. I want to be fearless, but I'm not jumping in today. Feel like you're like, we're like, no, 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 come and serve. It's fun. You make new friends. You feel, this church is so big, it gets smaller when you start serving. I promise you that it does. But maybe we got jump in. So we got this moment, and it's like, okay, this is going to fall off. But we got this moment of where you can serve, but maybe like that powder, your gift has been laying dormant because you've been so busy, so many different things happen that it's laying dormant. But pause, says what? There you go, there you go. So stir up the gift that's within you. Notice Paul says, I'm not giving you the spirit of fear. So Paul is saying this. Listen to this. It's coming. Oh, not that one. <laughs> nope. Fear is a liar. He will take your breath, stop you in your steps. Guess what? Fear is a liar. He will rob your rest. He'll steal your happiness, so cast your fear. Guess where you can cast it? In the fire. That's where the devil is, because fear, what? He is a liar. <laughs> yes, so fear, it can cripple you, it can paralyze you. As a Christian, we should not be fearful, giving way to fear. There are 365 times in the Bible we get the command, do not do not be a, but Timothy's got these issues. He doesn't know what's going on. So maybe when you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, I'm going to start with my devotional, get my coffee, me and Jesus, we good. Then after a while, you're like talking to your friends. You look at the news. 
social media, Snapchat, Instagram, whatever your YouTube, oh, Lord, the earthquake, oh, oh, the earthquake, we're in Arizona. And before you know, you have freaked yourself out. Okay, truth teller moment for Mountain Park. How many of you ever freaked yourself out? Come on. Tell the truth, shame the devil. All right. Okay, so you freaked yourself out. I remember when I was a kid, I would see those shoes. I would see those pants and that shirt. Then I start looking like, it's moving. Oh, oh I am freaked out. My grandma said, you better call on Jesus. <laughs> and I was like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You know, but you freaked yourself out. This is a truth telling for us because we can all do this. And God says, don't be fearful. Don't be fearful. So we go on and we look at verse 8, 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 12. Paul says, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of his power. Or as, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join me in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to this, this grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to the light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know who I've believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him. Do you hear the confidence as Paul writes, the Spirit of God guiding his pen? It's influential. Besides investing our time into others, Paul reminds us that God saved us and he called us and he gave us a holy calling. The, so the type of questions you don't want to be asking when you're on your deathbed is this. You know, what did I spend all my time doing? Who did I, you know, it was all about me. Or that company I worked for for 30 years, it was all about their bottom line. But my calling while I was placed on the planet that I was saved for a purpose, why I was saved for a cause, ah, you know, I can't figure that out. Listen, the reality is this. If you walk out today and say, you know, one day I'm gonna mentor someone, guess what? You won't. One day I'm gonna get serious about reading the Bible. One day I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna jump in and discover my role here at Mountain Park, but I'll do that later. And then later never comes, and 30 years down the road, you look back like, huh, I wish I would've done that. Paul's message of encouragement to Timothy regarding his calling was while he was young. You have a calling. And it's not according to works, but it's according to the purpose of God. You are his workmanship for Christ Jesus to do good works. It's not about earning anything. Guess what? Grace is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. Grace is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. You could work hard by the grace of God. You could exercise your gifts by the grace of God. You can use your mind, heart, skills, and all of this to advance the kingdom of God. That's the grace of God. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to, I did all these good things, and it won me God's favor. The devil is a lie. That's what my grandmother said. The devil is a lie. No, no, no. That's not how that works. I'm sorry. Our best effort, our hardest work, our greatest successes in the eyes of God is like filthy rags in comparison to our righteousness. So the only way to get to heaven is by the favor of God through the death of Jesus over our sins. That's the gospel, plain and simple. And that will not change. In light of that, you have a holy calling, and Paul encourages us. So I ask you, how are you fulfilling that calling? Paul, Timothy was called to be the pastor at Ephesus. 
That's why I'm suffering, he says. But point three is this. In light of eternity, Paul teaches us that the church of tomorrow has to guard the truth. Paul says that we've been giving so much more, it's valuable than a family heirloom, that you've been giving the words of life, the gospel which transforms people's lives. If you've received the gospel, then you know that it's been deposited in you, says, as some of the references of the scripture says. And you can't take that for granted. It's not something we should be careless with. It's not something we should neglect. But it is something that we should give life, thought, while guarding. Because in the, in the world we live in, you know what? Truth is always changing. Truth is here one minute and there the next. So we live in an age of newness. I want new things. The new Avengers movie that just came out, I want to see it now. The new iPhone or Android is coming out, I want it now. You know, that new phone just came out. I saw it on Google. You can drop it in the pool and it'll still work when you get it out. You know, I want it. I want it now. Don't get me wrong. Technology is good. And innovation is advancing and it's happening. But everything good is not new. Everything good is not new. Because you see this, this Bible I hold, it's not new, but it is good. It's not new, but it's good. And there's something about when people look at it and they say, oh, that's, that's old-fashioned, that's out of date, that was for them back then, that was for that culture, it's not for us today. <laughs> the Word of God says that the Word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, this book, it's eternal. That means it's before time and beyond time. It was before us and it will be after us. You know, and so if anything is out of date, might I suggest that it's you or them, that you're out of date because it changes not. And this is the truth of God. And it does not change. And so in his, you know, if God could change, that would mean that he was wrong about something and he cannot improve upon his perfection. It is who he is and he is incapable of it. You know, Youth for Christ has this phrase that I love. It says, and they're going to put it on the screen, it's a logo, and it says that we are geared to the times and we're anchored to the rock. That we are geared to the times and we're anchored to the rock. Geared to the time, anchored to the... What does that mean? What does it mean? That we have to hold on to what is eternal and what's transcendent, that we need to be focusing in on what's essential, loving the next generation, pouring in, investing our time. And then the end of this chapter... We see Timothy talk to this guy, this friend named Onesiphorus, who brought him, who refreshed him. And Paul prays for him, and I'm ending. He prays for him. And in that prayer, he says this. You know, I'm in this situation, but I trust God because God will stand with me regardless of what I'm going through. That's Paul's faith. And so Paul's like, I'm good. He's going to stand with me. Second Timothy chapter 1 opens with Paul saying to Timothy, I constantly remember you in my prayers. And it ends with Paul praying for a man named Onesiphorus who refreshed him. Paul reminds us in our last point that in light of eternity, the church of Tamar embraces the power of praying for one another. Here Paul reminds us of the power of prayer that we should be praying and so my heart and Paul's heart for us this morning is this. Who are you passing the baton on to? Who right now do you want to speak into in light of eternity? 
Who can you help fulfill their calling as you fulfill your calling at the same time? Who can you encourage to guard the truth and to hold on to it with all of their heart? This is Paul's prayer for us 2,000 years later. It's my prayer for us, Mountain Park, that holistically we would treasure God above all other things. That as he draws us to himself, us who are distracted, and he draws those that are disinterested, that this would be a place where we would meet the Savior and they would be drawn to him and we would encourage one another. So I want to pray for us as we end today, but I want you to think of that. I pray that today challenged you. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for your grace. We are thankful for your grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness, that it carries us in moments where we feel broken in moments of every season. Father, we admit as a congregation that we do not have the strength without you, that we do not have the wisdom without your word and without your leading, but you pour your grace on us anyway. And Father, today I pray that if there's anyone here today that doesn't know your love, maybe they walked in this morning and they have no clue of anything I've talked about, but you're drawing them to yourself. God, that as we dismiss and our prayer team comes forward, that they would take a step to come and to discover what you have for them. You're still calling us to come home. And so, Father, we submit to your leadership and your mastery in our lives that you would draw us and you would take us and you would move us from this place to the next. And so, Father, we give you all praise. We give you all glory. Thank you for this church. Thank you for every struggle. Thank you for every mountain and every valley. Would you do for us what we cannot do for ourselves? Would you meet us here again and would you meet us each week? And as we depart from this place, may we not depart from your presence. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. Our prayer team is down front and would love the opportunity to pray for you. We look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you.